Hi, everyone. I'm Frank Fear, and you're listening to Joey P. and Frank. It's NFL Week 1, and Joe is here to go over five of his picks. We call it 4 plus 1, meaning that Joe will analyze four NFL games each week, plus he'll always discuss the upcoming game for his hometown Baltimore Ravens. This week, of course, that means the Ravens at Las Vegas to play the Raiders on Monday Night Football. So let's get right to it. Here's award-winning NFL beat writer Joe Platania. Well, thank you very much, Frank, and uh, let's just dive right into it. Uh, the 102nd NFL season starts with week one and an extra week, so instead of 256 regular season games, there's 272. So let's see how uh, all that extra football goes over with the public. I'm guessing rather well going by the ratings. Um, I'm a bit biased, but I just think we ought to touch on the games involving teams from uh, my neck of the woods, the AFC North, uh, one of the tougher divisions of football, some would say the toughest. Um, an interesting note for people who uh, predict that sort of thing. Uh, ever since the turn of the century, the two divisions in the NFL that have done the poorest job of sending teams to the Super Bowl would be the AFC South and the NFC North. Uh, ever since 2000, those two divisions have accounted for only two Super Bowl berths each since the turn of the century. That's a pretty amazing stat. So, uh, the AFC South, NFC North, not done a very good job sending teams to the Super Bowl. But the AFC North, when you consider Pittsburgh's resume, what Baltimore has done, and what Cleveland is trying to do, um, and, and Cincinnati's won the division four times, too. Let's not forget that. So let's take a look at what those teams are going to be doing in week one, starting with uh, the marquee game at 425. Uh, Cleveland's going to be at Kansas City, at Arrowhead, with fans back in the stands. So that's going to be a key game and a, a much-anticipated game. CBS is sending their top broadcast team to do it. Um, kind of ironic with the, the lots of red and lots of noise in the stands because Andy Reid, he quietly designs these game plans that can throw off any visitor. And I think that, that Cleveland is going to, you know, for all the promise that that team has, it's, it's kind of amazing when you consider the Browns have not won a season-opening game in 17 years. 2004 was the last time Cleveland won a Week 1 game. They were at home against, ta-da, the Baltimore Ravens back then. And they haven't won a season opener since. And, you know, you look at these teams that win the offseason, quote-unquote. Uh, Washington did that several times. And, and then when the leaves changed color, they just flopped. I think the same thing is going to happen to Cleveland starting with this game. Uh, the, let's face it, they had a weak schedule last year, and they still had to go 7-2 and two in games decided by a score or less. So uh, I, I kind of think their luck runs out this year. And when you got to open up in Kansas City, that team that's won the last two AFC titles, along with a Super Bowl title, uh, I just think Kansas City is going to have too much for, for Cleveland. Uh, they, they're trying to build a good defense in Cleveland, particularly on the back end. But to keep up with the speed of a Tyreek Hill and the savvy of a Travis Kelsey. And, of course, there's that guy Mahomes, best quarterback in the league. Some would say the best player in the league. It's going to be a really tough ask for the Cleveland Browns. I think they'll be able to hang in there for about a quarter and a half. But you eventually get worn down and worn out in that environment. And you know the fans are just itching to get back into the stands at Arrowhead, one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL. 
I got it, uh, if you saw my picks posted, at thesportscol.com. People know I'm taking the Chiefs 30-20. to 20. Let's move on to a, a favorite of mine. Uh, that is, uh, and it's it's another marquee game. And that's uh, Buffalo yeah. uh, is hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers. Very different Pittsburgh team this year. Uh, the same Buffalo team we saw last year. Who are you going with? Well, uh, it's going to be uh, up there at uh, formerly, let's see, Rich Stadium, Ralph Wilson Stadium, uh, New Era Field. And now I think it's called Highmark Stadium. Uh, that's that's the, That's the times we live in with corporate names on stadiums. But anyway... Highmark Stadium, which uh, might be replaced in a few years. Uh, there's a stadium controversy brewing in Buffalo. But right now, there's no ambiguity when it comes to the Bills. Uh, they've, they've come together very nicely. As a, uh, They're really symptomatic of the salary cap world in which we live in, where a team can go from good to bad or bad to good very quickly. Sean McDermott deserves a lot of credit for the program he's built there. Uh, they had gone a long time without even making the playoffs and before uh, – Cincinnati pulled off that fourth down miracle at Baltimore to let the Bills into the front door back in 2017. And ever since then, the Bills have been a mainstay. And it's, uh, it's nice to see when you consider the history that you know very well, Frank, that the, the Bills have brought uh, to those uh, incredible fans, those table-jumping fans in western New York. And they, they get to open up against the Pittsburgh Steelers, a team with a lot of questions surrounding them, particularly on defense. Very underrated, under-the-radar move the Steelers have made in advance of this game. Uh, a very long-time uh, veteran NFL safety, Carl Joseph, who made his name with the Raiders, and then he went to uh, Cleveland for a year. They went back to the Raiders, and then the Raiders cut him, and then Pittsburgh signed him because they've been trying to redo their secondary. And when you're facing a guy like Josh Allen, receivers like Stephon Diggs, Dawson Knox, the tight end, all kinds of great targets they have in Buffalo, uh, you're going to need all the help you can get in the back end. But uh, the Steelers still fiddling with their offensive line. David DeCastro, uh, you got a bit older, and then they decided to release him, even though he has a really, really fine resume. I would say he's a borderline Hall of Famer, but we'll, push, we'll kick that can down the road and cross that bridge when we get to it. It's just that Buffalo has really turned itself into a, a very, very complete team on both sides of the ball. They started with defense. And then the offense has come around drafting a guy like Diggs and, and some offensive linemen in the last few years. They've rounded into form very nicely in the space of the last few years. And, of course, those fans are going to be back in full, although the Buffalo did let a few fans in uh, during the year last year, and, and well, with that playoff game against Baltimore. Uh, it's going to be another case where uh, I think the, the visitors uh, hang in there for about a quarter and a half, maybe two quarters, but I just think the home team – has a little bit too much. Um, I like Buffalo 26-13 in this one. It, it doesn't portend a, a really sorry season for the Steelers. It's just that uh, they're in a bit of a transition period right now. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a total rebuild, and whatever rebuilding the Steelers have to do, I don't think it's going to take very long. I think they're going to be back among the league's best teams in very short order. Uh, but uh, this this asking a lot to open the season in Buffalo with a team that's really put itself at the forefront of a loaded AFC as the Buffalo Bills have. What's your take on uh, Ben Roethlisberger? Well, you know, you got to give him credit for getting himself into shape uh, in a relatively short period of time. The first time I saw some footage of him in the offseason, uh, well, I, I, thought, uh, I thought he was done. I wasn't sure he could get himself back into playing shape, but uh, apparently he's done exactly that. 
Uh, well, you know, that's why guys like that, they win two Super Bowl rings and they're going to be in Canton when their time comes. So you got to give Ben a lot of credit for that. Whether he's going to be able to be the play extender that he has been in his career, that remains to be seen. I mean, uh, as they always say, father time is undefeated. Is he going to be able to be to be able to run his, himself through tacklers and through prospective sacks and things of that nature? And the, the great receivers that he has there, uh, Claypool and Washington and Deontay Johnson, and, and, and by the fact that Deontay Johnson had trouble uh, dropping the ball last year, if he can tighten that up, that would help. And uh, picking up Najee Harris to be in every down back. So uh, offensively, I think the Steelers are going to be in pretty good shape. That line is a question. Defensively is where uh, I think the, twest, the questions come in, especially in the secondary. Uh, T.J. Watt, the contract negotiations haven't gone well so far. But uh, for, for a team with that many holes to go into a place like Buffalo and face a team like the Bills, I just think it's asking too much, and that's why I like the Bills there. Yeah, he's going to face a lot of pressure from that uh, stout Bills defense. Let's move on, uh, Joe, to a game that a lot of people are not talking about, but you and I have chatted about this. Uh, we're both intrigued, and I'm talking about Minnesota and Cincinnati. So give us the skinny on that one. Yeah, a lot of people nationwide aren't going to be uh, addressing this one that much because uh, once Aaron Rodgers decided, yes, I'm all in with the Green Bay Packers, a lot of people just said, okay, Green Bay's winning the NFC North. I'm not so sure because I originally picked Minnesota to win that division, and even after Aaron Rodgers made his decision, I'm not changing my mind on that. I just think if the Vikings can stay healthy and get their get their pass rush uh, to play to its potential, and it's got plenty of that, uh, and, and have that secondary. they got a really fine underrated secondary in Minnesota. I think they're going to be able to win the NFC North. Of course, we don't know that now. We've got to go through 17 weeks of ups and downs on that. But I really think Minnesota, uh, the schedule maker, did them a nice favor here to have them open up at Cincinnati, uh, one of the places in the league where the home crowd doesn't really give their team much of a boost. That is, if there is a home crowd. So, you know, they're, they're, good. they're justifiably excited in the Queen City with Joe Burrow coming back healthy and uh, they're anticipating getting a full season out of him and uh, drafting Richard, uh, dra- drafting uh, uh, Jamar Chase, who has uh, had trouble dropping the ball uh, this spring and summer, but uh, a team that already had a lot of playmakers and they went out and drafted another receiver. Well, I can kind of see why they did that, this being a passing league, but that offensive line deserved some attention too. And myself and a lot of other people in our mock drafts, we had Panay Sewell, the big fellow from Oregon, going to that team. He went to the Detroit Lions instead. That could be a very underrated pick if the Lions ever turn the corner, which they haven't done since two years before my parents even met. But that's another story. <laughs> anyway, Minnesota, Minnesota's at Cincinnati. I think that pass rush is going to be able to get after Joe Burrow. Uh, and uh, it could be rather perilous for him because we saw what happened to that team with Burrow in the game and with Burrow on the sidelines. So they think they got something special in that young man from LSU. And uh, he won't be facing uh, Carl Eller, Alan Page, Jim Marshall, and Wally Hilgenberg and you know Blair and all the purple people eaters of days gone by. But it's still a good young defense. Burrow's going to have to you know, uh, act like Roethlisberger and extend some plays. Uh, I don't think he's going to be able to do it. I mean, Minnesota, like I said, schedule maker did him a favor here. I, I like Minnesota taking this one a 40 to 17, and uh, that NFC North is going to be a really fine two-team race between the Vikings and Packers. You talked about uh, Big Ben, 
in your analysis of the Steelers. What about Kirk Cousins for the Vikings? Well, uh, with uh, the specter of uh, COVID looming still over the league, and uh, although I did hear where uh, league-wide, I believe over 90% of the players league-wide have been vaccinated, uh, Cousins, uh, based on his public statements, is not one of those players. So uh, I think it all comes down to that because he has shown he can be a productive uh, player, uh, if not a totally mature one. But it, if, uh, if, if he can keep himself healthy and, and keep his teammates healthy and, and, and for heaven's sake, get vaccin- vaccinated, Kirk, although it's a personal decision for everybody. I understand that. But if uh, 90, over 90, 92 percent of the league is vaccinated, I think it would go a long way for him and his team if he would do the same because I think he's talented enough to be productive, to be a top 10 quarterback in the league, maybe at the back end of that list. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that because uh, you got a young man in Justin Jefferson on the other end of those passes, you know, a, a, a tight end in Rudolph that's uh, very, very good. Uh, this is a perfect spot for them to really make a statement if you're going to open up on the road against a team like the Bengals. This is a perfect spot to show exactly what you're all about offensively and to win big. You know, he's uh, Customs is a good example for young players around the country with big dreams. He came out of West Michigan high school-wise as a three-star, wanted to go to the University of Iowa where his parents had matriculated. Hawkeyes didn't want him. Went to Michigan State established uh, himself there, did a great job, and then came in, as you know, with no fanfare uh, with the Washington football team, never really expected uh, to do much. I think he was a seventh round pick, and lo and behold, uh, he takes over, and look at him now, a very, very rich, albeit unvaccinated football player. (laughs) I will say this, though. I I believe he was a a fourth round pick, but it was also the same year that Washington selected Robert Griffin III, and uh, Cousins was seen as a kind of a throwaway pick. But, you know, I'll never accuse uh, the Washington organization of being particularly smart, but I think taking Cousins uh, may have been a smart move for them in the short run, even though in the long run it turned out better for other teams. Now, let's move on to a game that we've talked about, you and I, a lot. Uh, it's intriguing. <laughs> In fact, some would say it could be one of the marquee games of the week, and that's Seattle and Indianapolis. Give us your take on yeah. that, Joe. I'll tell you what, it's a very underrated game. And, uh, you know, it's interconference, which is probably why it doesn't get more headlines, because, uh, you know, interconference-wise, you're only meeting teams every every four years at most. Uh, so I, I think the schedule maker came up with a good one here for, for a, a marquee purposes, even though I don't think this is going to be telecast to a great deal of the country. Uh, since Seattle's the visitors, I'm guessing it would be on Fox, but still not everyone's going to be able to see this game. And that's a shame because, you know, you've got two compelling quarterback stories here with uh, Carson Wentz on one side and uh, Russell Wilson, a, a perennial elite quarterback, and some are putting him in the MVP conversation. Uh, this year. So we'll have to wait and see about that, of course. But uh, this could be a very, very good game. Indianapolis is a team that's built their team the old-fashioned way from the inside out, interior line play, offensively and defensively. I think they've got one of the best interior line cores in the league on both sides of the ball. So uh, uh, Wilson will have to, uh, you know, have his running shoes on to get, to get, uh, get away from that pass rush. And of course, uh, with uh, the Seattle receiving core being what it is, 
and uh, the, the kind of spotty running game the Seahawks have featured, if they can get on the right side of the spot, they can be able to uh, make some yards against the Colt defense. But this should be a really, really nice interconference game, and if T.Y. Hilton were healthy for the Colts, it would be even better, but he's going to miss a few weeks. Uh, I just think this is just a really, really underrated game. Uh, it won't figure into you know conference tiebreakers down the line because it is an interconference game, but still – uh, this is why uh, it's why the NFL is a, a real popular league. It, 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 it allows many, many teams to be good at the same time, especially teams with the, uh, the long-term tradition that the Colts have and the relatively short-term tradition that the Seahawks have. I see the Seahawks going in and winning that one 33-23, but it should be a fun one to watch. And if you're lucky enough to have Sunday ticket or red zone or any of those ancillary things, or if you're in an area that's going to be showing that game on Fox, uh, I think you're going to be in for a treat there. Monday night football, national spotlight, Baltimore versus the Raiders. Yeah, yeah. It's, it'd be, uh, for When you consider uh, Baltimore's long history in this league and, of course, uh, the Raiders, no matter what city they've called home, this is the first time ever that Baltimore is playing the Raiders. And I'm talking about the Baltimore Colts, too. This is the first time Baltimore's ever played the Raiders on a Monday night or in a season opener. So that's, a, that's kind of a novel thing uh, for these two teams to be meeting up. Uh, first time Allegiant Stadium is going to have uh, fans allowed because the stadium did open last year, but, of course, COVID took the fans away for the most part from all the stadiums. Um, a, a lot of the folks here in local radio were talking about uh, the Raider fan base and how crazy and rowdy it's always been, and, and with the flat roof that they have at Allegiant Stadium, how it's going to hold the noise in and make it tough for the Ravens. Well, one thing I think a lot of people are missing here is the fact that uh, it's, it's more of a blue-collar crowd that gets rowdy. And I've, this goes through all sports at all levels. I've noticed that the loudest, rowdiest crowds are from uh, those areas that are not particularly affluent, uh, the, the people that are struggling to make ends meet and who look to their sports teams to, uh, for some kind of validation of their town and their neighborhood or whatever. Those are, those are the cities where you can find the loud, rowdy, intimidating fan base. Las Vegas is a very transient town, a, you know, a very fun town to be in, uh, from all I've heard, because I've never been there. Maybe one day I'll go. But just the same, it's a very transient town, kind of like Atlanta, kind of like Washington, D.C., and you don't hear about intimidating crowds in those places, do you? No, I didn't think so. So, you know, while the Raider fan base has a bit of a reputation that precedes it, the Las Vegas fan base, well, that's a bit of a different story. I mean, are you going to see those guys wearing the spiked dog collars and the face paint and the, the, the throwing things at players, the black hole and that whole aura? I'm not so sure about that. I mean, sure, the, the stadium was designed to keep noise in, but how much noise is there really going to be? I'm thinking it's going to be a bit more of a wine and cheese crowd there. And if I'm wrong, well, then that's good for the Raider fans. But it's it's not going to be the same aura as it was in the black hole, just as, you know, here in Baltimore when the Oriole Park at Camden Yards opened, it wasn't like Memorial Stadium where the Orioles had a rabid fan base, and, of course, they were playing well at the time, unlike now. But just the same a stadium, while it may have all the amenities and it may get you a Super Bowl down the road and it may get you a franchise down the road, something's always lost when a team moves into a new stadium. And I think we're going to see that with the Las Vegas Raiders. And also, when you throw on top of that the fact that the Raiders just simply are not as talented as the Baltimore Ravens up and down the roster, uh, 
I, I just think it's it's not going to be a very uh, happy night for those supporting the silver and black. Uh, Baltimore has a, a stacked roster. It's got some holes. The offensive line, there's still questions about it. Uh, can can the, the running backs stay healthy? Of course, we all know what happened to J.K. Dobbins. They added Le'Veon Bell to the practice squad uh, after the fan base, uh, some of the fan base had been screaming for him for the past year or so. They added him to the practice squad. They're going to ride with Gus Edwards averaging about five yards a carry. Uh, he can always uh, he can always go into the middle of the line and ground out yards and move the chains, kind of like a modern-day Leroy Horde, who, matter of fact, if you remember Leroy Horde, when the Cleveland Browns moved to Baltimore, Leroy Horde was the Ravens' first bell cow running back. Not all that productive, but I'll tell you what, he, as, as they used to say about Leroy Horde, if you need one yard, he'll get you three yards. And if you need five yards, he'll get you three yards. That was the kind of back Leroy mm-hmm. Horde was. But uh, Gus Edwards, I think, is a younger, faster, more athletic version of Leroy Horde. He'll be able to get you five and six and seven yards every time. And if, uh, you know, another point of emphasis was uh, Lamar Jackson as a thrower. Well, if the Ravens get out to a good start in this game, and they've done a very good job of having good first quarters the last couple of years, then uh, Lamar won't have to throw that much. And matter of fact, this being a season opener, the Ravens have won a club record tying five week one games in a row. If they win this one, it'll break the club record. And the last five that they've won, they've won by a combined total of 177 to 26, which is why I'm kind of scratching my head as to why some people are picking a close game here, because I'm certainly not. Baltimore in week one with this group of players and this coaching staff has been well nigh unbeatable and it's been tough for the opponents to even be competitive here, which is why I have Baltimore winning at 31-16. Thanks, Joe. Good thoughts as always, and with a lot of history thrown in too. Let's summarize those five picks. You started with the game between Kansas City and Cleveland with the Browns traveling to Kansas City, and you picked Kansas City 30, Cleveland 20. Then you moved on to the game in Buffalo. Uh, Pittsburgh is the opponent for the Buffalo Bills. uh, And you have it, Buffalo 26, the Steelers 13. Moving on with Minnesota visiting Cincinnati, you have the Vikings 40, Cincinnati 17. Then Seattle traveling across country to play the Colts. You have it, Seattle 33, Indianapolis 23, and the last of the five picks, Baltimore uh, jetting out to Las Vegas to play the Raiders. You have it, Baltimore 31, the Raiders 16. Of course, we'll review those picks next week, and we'll also have five more picks for you for week two. And remember, you can read all of Joe's picks, not just for those five, but for every NFL game. Plus, you can also read his deep dive into the next Ravens opponent every week. Two articles. You can find them both at the Sports Column. And you can find the Sports Column at this internet address, https colon double backslash www dot the Sports Call, one word, T H E S P O R T S C O L dot single backslash. Thanks for listening, everyone. For Joe Platania, I'm Frank Fear. Be good sports, everybody. 
and we'll see you again next week. A tug of war, 22 nameless men grappling in the mud. They called it...